Welcome to our podcast addressing the CARES Act forgiveness program. So for those of you who have taken out a PPP loan, this is all about forgiveness. And we're going to discuss the rules, application, and impact to the automotive industry. I'm joined today by my colleagues, Russ McCrory, a partner in our New York office, and Justin Goldberg, my colleague in L.A., and I'm Aaron Jacoby. I head our national automotive practice group at Arendt Fox, and I'll be the moderator for today's podcast. Let's dive right into our topic. Gentlemen, we've been waiting for a long time for this application, and I know we've all been getting a lot of questions from our clients. So let's talk about where we are and what we do with all of this, and specifically the rules that we know about regarding forgiveness. And Justin, I'm going to start with you. First of all, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Aaron. Pleasure to be here. Uh, and on, you've oh, been sorry. on our task force, Justin, for studying the CARES Act. And um, so I'm going to ask if you can give us an introduction uh, and frame the context for our listeners today. Uh, absolutely. Uh, uh, the CARES Act came out um, in late March and the PPP program launched in early April and the SBA and Treasury were supposed to, uh, pursuant to the CARES Act, release regulations regarding forgiveness within 30 days. That obviously did not happen. But on uh, Friday, fortunately, they finally came out with the application for borrowers to apply for forgiveness with their lender. The application is about 11 pages long. It's very mechanical and detailed in the process to actually apply for forgiveness and the calculations that a borrower needs to make. However, it's pretty short on guidance and there's not many new items in it. And mostly, and I think the worst part about it is there's no regulations to accompany it. There's no clarifying guidance. There were no additional FAQs published. It was basically the application and that was it. Got it. And so uh, with the lack of regulations, I think that's been compounding the questions that all of our clients in the industry face. Russ, thank you for joining today. Um, let, let me ask you, what sort of questions are we receiving from our clients on the topic? Hi, Aaron. Thank you for uh, having me on this podcast today. Uh, one of the main questions we've been getting has to do with whether um, floor plan interest um, is an expense that is forgivable under the, under, uh, the PPP program. Another topic of interest is uh, the calculation of, uh, of the reduction of forgiveness related to the employee count and the number and the amount of compensation uh, given to the employees. And Justin, are we receiving any clarity at all on that? On both of those topics, there's not a tremendous amount of clarity. On the on the four plan interest, there is zero clarity. We have what was listed in the CARES Act, which was basically the definition of a covered mortgage obligation um, that you could pay interest on a quote unquote mortgage that was in place before February 15, 2020. But there's no additional clarifying regulations or a deep explainer of what is a covered mortgage and what is not. The guidance we've been giving on whether a four-point interest is counted or not is whether that specific instrument is classified as a mortgage, but there's no bright line rule. It really depends on every single um, different contract and security agreement. 
Yeah, Justin, the, the issue that, that I've been hearing, and I know we've talked about this, is that the in, in the statute it talks about a covered mortgage obligation as a payment of interest on any business mortgage obligation on real or personal property. And it's the personal property language that has created the, the, the questions. And, and I think that really raises a twofold issue is whether um, inventory, floor plan inventory interest is would be personal property under that or even if it is covered, whether it is only limited to things like furniture, fixtures, and equipment that's used in the business, but is not inventory itself. Yeah, and I think that's a really great point. And I think that's the perfect detailed, nuanced question that we've been waiting for the SBA to answer and that they have not answered. And they haven't answered within the 30 days and they haven't answered yet. Is that right? Yep. In the application, in interim final rules that have been published, or in FAQs that have come out, this question has not been answered. Now, what about the time period covered uh, for forgiveness? Russ, let, tell me, are dealers still having a lot of questions about that? Uh, yes, Aaron. It's, it's coming up in a, in a couple of different contexts. One, for example, is uh, what is the uh, period you're looking at for your payroll calculations uh, what, what, is, what is your payroll schedule? For example, are you monthly? Or are you biweekly? Uh, that also goes into the calculation. And that's creating some confusion as to how, how to do the calculations properly. And Justin, what are the rules there, at least the rules that we know about? In the CARES Act, a borrower has 56 days, eight weeks after they get to deposited their money in their account. Um, to have expenses that are incurred and paid in order to get forgiveness. The application actually adds a new um, covered period for payroll expenses, simply payroll costs, not rent, mortgage, or utilities. And this is the first pay period after a borrower gets their money. So if they're paid on June 8th, and if they get the money on June 8th and their next pay period is June 15th, the middle of the month, their 56-day period for payroll costs would start on June 15th and run from that date. This is completely new. Um, I, I'm not saying anyone saw this coming. It does eliminate the difference between cash basis accounting and accrual basis accounting. It was meant to give borrowers flexibility and line up with their uh, borrowers' different payroll schedules. And what about payroll costs in, in addition to the actual payroll? Payroll costs uh, did not change. Payroll costs were the same as they were in the CARES Act. It's a very broad category that includes salary, wages, uh, health, and, uh, health and retirement benefits, payments for vacation. It did give some clarity on to when those uh, payroll costs are actually incurred and when they are paid. Uh, so the application actually adds different the incurred is when the employee earned it and when it's paid is actually um, when you do an ACH or when you give out a check so it provides a lot of clarity in that regard and Russ what are some questions coming up with uh, well Justin mentioned accrual cash reporting accrued expenses are, are there questions coming up about any of those issues uh, yes Aaron on that same topic and I, th there is some clarity that that some dealers have been asking for whether they can voluntarily prepay certain payroll expenses and whether that is covered under that accrual concept that Justin was just talking about that's what I've been hearing as well Justin what's our position on that dealers should not prepay expenses they should do their normal payroll operations especially in light of this new alternative covered period since no matter when they get their loan, their payroll cost period will start whenever their next normal payroll is. So they won't lose any money by 
by getting their money at one date in the month and then having a payroll that occurs afterwards, especially due to the flexibility that's added for the last pay period. If a employee incurs, uh, incurs expenses at the end of the period, but they're paid on day 65 as opposed to day 56 when the payroll, um, the covered period ends, that amount is still counted as long as it's paid on that normal next pay date after the covered period ends. Moving on to a somewhat different, well, I guess entirely different topic, certification. There's there's certainly already a certification regarding need, and I know there's been a lot of uh, discussion and writing that we've done about that. But there are other certifications uh, that, that are uh, part of this regarding your actual expenses submitted. Russ, tell me, what are the issues that dealers are considering with regard to certifications on these applications? Uh, well, the, the, the big one, obviously, is need, but the one right after that is is the idea that 75% of uh, the forgiveness amount has to be for payroll costs, meaning only 25% could be for non-payroll costs. And there's a question as to how that's properly calculated and how that plays into forgiveness overall. And Justin, can you talk about that? Yes, we were worried based on the FAQs and the interim final rules that came out that this 75% threshold would be a bright line test. Fortunately, um, and surprisingly, it is not. It's a very permissive standard under the application. It gives borrowers a lot of flexibility. There's essentially the only penalty is that your forgiveness will be reduced. Whatever your non-payroll costs are, you don't need to include them for forgiveness purposes up to the 25%. So you include whatever uh, whatever one-third of your payroll costs are as non-payroll costs in your application, and that is what you apply for for forgiveness. So it's very permissive. Got it. And, and other questions on that, Russ? I know we've had some discussions internally. Uh, yeah, right. So one, one of the other issues is while there is this ability to to apply up to 25% of non-payroll costs towards forgiveness, uh, because there are there is more than one way for the overall forgiveness amount to be reduced, um, should dealers really be focusing on trying to uh, use as much of their forgiveness money for payroll and try to avoid using it for non-payroll costs? Absolutely. Uh, dealers should work to pay as much of the PPP loan towards payroll as possible. It's the Paycheck Protection Program. The more you spend on payroll costs above and beyond the 75% cap, the easier it is to meet the forgiveness, the less you have to do any math regarding your non-payroll costs or potentially reduce them. Basically, the more you pay in payroll, the better. Justin, tell us about the cash cap on compensation. I know we've had a lot of questions on that. Yes, in the CARES Act, there's a cap of $100,000 of compensation paid to the, an employee. The wording in the CARES Act is not great and pretty confusing because it mentions annual salary. The SBA has come out with an FAQ, and now this is ratified in the forgiveness application that this $100,000 cap only applies to a certain subset of payroll costs. These include gross salary, gross wages, gross tips, gross commissions, paid leave, uh, such as vacation, family, medical, or sick leave, and allowance for dismissal and separation. It doesn't apply to employer contributions for health insurance, employer contributions to retirement plans, or employer state and local taxes on employee compensation, such as state unemployment insurance tax. And Russ, what is going on with our clients and their needs in that regard? 
Are there more questions within that uh, answer that Justin just gave us? One, one question that I've heard um, is that because the Paycheck Protection Program, in a sense, encourages employers to pay people to not work, uh, some, some of our dealer clients have wanted to reward or provide bonuses to their employees who are actually coming in to do work. And they've had questions as to whether if they pay these employees who are actually working at the dealerships um, extra money or a bonus, uh, how does that impact their ability to obtain forgiveness? And can they use non-PPP funds to pay these bonuses without any um, impact on their PPP money? There's been absolutely zero guidance on this point, zero guidance on hazard bonuses and zero guidance and guidance on bonuses at all. It's not, bonus is not even mentioned once in the entire forgiveness application. And it's not mentioned significantly in any way in any of the FAQs. So we're definitely waiting for more guidance to answer this question and the overall tips we would give to borrowers is to do things as much as possible in the normal, ordinary course of business. And Justin, if, if funds totally outside of the PPP realm are used to pay bonuses, uh, should dealers be concerned th about that or, or would that be a safe harbor? That's about as good of a safe harbor as you're going to get. Although I would not list those expenses for in any way on your forgiveness application, as long as you're using non-PPP funds and not asking for forgiveness for those funds, then uh, a dealer should be fine to do that. That's a very interesting point, and I know a lot of dealers have had those concerns. We've also heard a lot of issues about the full-time employee count and reduction ex exemptions. Justin, can you tell us about the count and those exemptions? Yes, the count is different than what everyone thought it was for the most part. Uh, the application makes clear that it's 40 hours uh, per week per employee as opposed to the 30 hours that's in the Affordable Care Act and that is mentioned in guidance for other Section 7A loans on the SBA's website. So this was a curveball that kind of came out of nowhere that we did not really see. And what about reduction exemptions? Those were actually expanded in the forgiveness application, which was a helpful bit of guidance. The SBA in FAQ 40 had expanded and stated that employees that were offered to be rehired and rejected their written offer would not be counted for the FTE reductions to forgiveness. They added employees that were fired for cause, who voluntarily resign or voluntarily request and receive lower hours, as long as those employees are not replaced during the forgiveness period to the exemption from the forgiveness reduction. Russ, any thoughts from you? Right, I, I believe that uh, that answers a lot of the questions that I've been receiving uh, along the lines of, because um, a lot of employees would be getting unemployment benefits with an additional kicker from the federal government under the recent legislation, uh, they might actually be earning more money um, by by being unemployed than they would if they were to go back to work. So if, if a dealer makes that, such an employee an offer to be rehired or to come back and they say no, uh, am I correct that, they, that the dealer would not be penalized in that scenario? The dealer would not be penalized, that's correct, but the employee may lose their unemployment insurance compensation. The uh, FAQ makes that perfectly clear and Secretary Mnuchin actually announced that and stated that employees who turn down offers to re be rehired may and potentially will lose their unemployment benefits. And I think this raises an issue, which is maybe a theme that should be throughout this, is about documentation, is that when you do have these communications with employees, uh, everything should be properly documented 
the offers that have been made and any refusals to come back to work should also be documented. I think we've also all been uh, carrying out that rallying cry, document, document, document. And uh, for any dealers listening, please listen to that. If you if you listen to nothing else that we're talking about today, let's let's move to another topic, which is safe harbor. What are the rules for rehire and restoration of salary exemption? The rule in this regard is very simple. Just rehire people or restore their salary for Q1 pre-COVID by June 30th, 2020. If you do that, you are fine. The forgiveness application makes that clear. It does not add any strings to that. It makes it easy to document. And that's kind of the bright line rule. We had been worried that it would be more complicated or there'd be some obligation to hire after June 30th, but that's not the case, at least in the application. And Russ, what are your thoughts about the impact on our clients and any questions that may raise for them? So, so Justin, is it correct that even if a dealer's um, forgiveness period ends, say, for example, on June June 8th or June 10th, uh, in terms of rehiring, they still have to the end of June uh, to rehire employees to avoid a forgiveness reduction on a FTE basis. Is that correct? That's absolutely correct. If they rehire by June 29th, for instance, they would not get a forgiveness reduction. So the rehiring is not really tethered to the forgiveness period itself so long as you meet the other FTE requirements. Is that what you're saying? Correct. It's tied to the cover the safe harbor listed in the CARES Act, which is completely independent from a borrower's individual covered forgiveness period. Russ, is there anything else you want to add perhaps about salary reduction exemptions? Uh, yes, Aaron, there's there's questions we're getting about the impact of new employees during this period on the salary reduction exemption and the calculation. Uh, and th- th- how was that calculated with, with respect to new employees? Yes, Russ, thanks. That is something that's completely new in the forgiveness application. Previously, the salary reduction exemption only applied to employees who made under $100,000 for every pay period in 2019. And most have interpreted that to mean that new employees were not covered in this prong because they didn't have 2019 salary. Bizarrely, the forgiveness application includes all new employees, regardless of their salary, with those who made under $100,000 in 2019. So potentially, if you hire an employee that made $150,000 on January 1st, 2020, they would be included in the salary reduction prong just like your under under hundred thousand dollar employees that you've had for a while that made that salary in 2019. So a new hire after January 1st, 2020, if that person is either reduced in salary or uh, terminated, uh, could could affect forgiveness. Is that correct? A- absolutely, and it's not only just those that made under hundred thousand dollars. Per the language of the application, it's all new employees. So it's a very huge gray area with no clarification or explanation. And we're definitely going to wait guidance to figure out how to advise our clients on this because it's brand new. So again, we're waiting for the all-important regulations to come out. Let's um, talk further about Russ's rallying cry, documentation, document everything. What documents are we really talking about that people should focus on and keep and make sure that they have for any audit that may result? Justin, let us know. 
the forgiveness application has a whole page on documentation that a borrower not only must submit to their lender to get forgiveness, but keep for six years for water purposes. These include bank account statements, payroll tax filings, uh, documentation regarding the calculation of FTEs, copies of amortization schedule for mortgages, and um, different payroll processing reports, basically anything that you would use to document either the calculation of a payroll cost, a mortgage, your lease agreement, your utility bill, basically anything and everything you would think you should basically definitely either submit to your lender or keep for your records. Got it. And and Russ, uh, since you've sort of announced this rallying cry, is there anything you want to say to wrap up that topic? Uh, just document, document, document. <laughs> well, gentlemen, that's all the time we have today. And I want to thank you both for joining. That was really helpful and very informative. For all of our listeners, a recording of our podcast will remain available along with a lot of content concerning the CARES Act uh, and forgiveness. And you can find all of that at errantfox.com as well as our practice group website, managingautomotive.com. Thanks again, Russ and Justin, and thanks to all of you for joining our podcast.